listeners to another episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Located in New York City, I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe Partners and Community Ambassador for Energy Central. Joining me is my colleague, Matt Chester, Community Manager for Energy Central, located in Orlando, Florida. Matt, how are you doing today? Hi, Jason. I'm doing great, and I really think our listeners are in for a treat with our upcoming guest. And well, they're here to hear from her and not from me, so let's move to it. Matt, there's not much to report on going in the energy field these days, is there? Pretty boring these days, isn't it? Right. (laughs) Besides all the utility transformations going on from grid modifications, workforce transitions, digitalizations of meters and gas, water and electric distribution, renewable energy penetrations, and so much more just at the utilities, plus, of course, you got climate risk and the pandemic and its implications, is there anything else? Well, as recent months have shown us, there's always going to be the next big wrench thrown into things that none of us saw coming. That's right. So let's find out if our next guest is having as much fun as the rest of us. But first, we want to quickly thank a few of our contributing partners of Energy Central. West Monroe, a national business and technology consulting firm, advises the nation's largest investor-owned utilities in telecommunication, grid modernization, digital and workforce transformation. From defending a rate case to preparing a business case, West Monroe utilizes a multidisciplinary team to address ever-increasing needs facing the utilities, whether it's improving customer experience, conducting vendor assessments, driving value through analytics, deploying EV and battery storage programs, determining grid resilience and cybersecurity, our nation's utilities turn to West Monroe. To ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, WebGIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Power, at Power, we help our customers make the decisions today that guide them across the bridge to energy's future. Where will your energy take you? For more information, visit thecpowerway.com forward slash future. And to Hancock Software, streamline commercial and residential energy efficiency retrofits with Hancock Software, Our customers are delivering more than double the number of retrofit projects with the same energy engineering staff. Joining us today is Joy Ditto. Earlier this year, she became the president and CEO of the American Public Power Association, which is the voice of not-for-profit, community-owned electric utilities that power 2,000 towns and cities nationwide. Before that, she was the president and CEO of the Utilities Technology Council, where she represented electric, gas, and water utilities on their mission-critical information and communication technologies. Joy, it is a pleasure to have you on today's episode of Power Perspectives. What a time to step into this leadership role. How is public power holding up these days during these challenging times? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Jason and Matt. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here even during these challenging times. And as you mentioned, I just came back to APPA. I was at UTC for about four years, but prior to that, I was at APPA for 15 years. So I really kind of came home to APPA back in January. And certainly I couldn't envision back then uh, that a couple months into my tenure, we would be facing a pandemic Um, as as well as all the other issues you kind of alluded to in terms of the transition of the industry. But I will say that electric utilities actually did plan for and have plans in place for pandemic response. We actually, as as a total industry, not just public power, but specifically public power, we 
plan for what are called high impact, low frequency events, such as pandemics. Another example of a high impact, meaning it could have a really negative impact if it happens, but it's very rare. That's kind of the definition of high impact, low frequency. Another example of that would be for example, a solar flare that might cause damage to our systems or an electromagnetic pulse. While we try to mitigate against those eventualities uh, in advance, there could still be potentials that we aren't able to deal with. So there's plans in place for those types of situations. There has been work around pandemics in our industry. So most people had pandemic plans in place. Obviously, this particular type of pandemic and how our local jurisdictions and our states and our federal government would respond was unknown. We've practiced maybe our pandemic plans, but actually living through one had never happened, at least in our lifetime. So this, this has been a new world. While we had plans, we were actually activating the plans. And I think public power has done a very good job, actually an excellent job, in responding to this situation. I was just talking to some of my members kind of across the country yesterday who were in various, some, one was in a very much a hot spot in New York, others were not as in a hot spot, but they all had similar actions that they took to respond, meaning they quarantined in some cases their control room operators, which are very highly essential personnel. They rotated in their line workers uh, in terms of their shifts so that they weren't all congregating together. And if there was an outbreak, they could easily quarantine and manage that. They typically allowed their office staff to work from home and telework where where possible. And most of them closed their customer service centers, at least initially, some of them are reopening. So I think overall, we've seen a great response because the lights have stayed on. Even in a couple of uh, places where they've seen really massive kind of spring storms or tornadoes, we had one in Jonesboro, Arkansas, we had a massive storm in Nashville, Tennessee, and Chattanooga, Tennessee as well. And they actually had to get aid from others, whether contractors or fellow public power utilities, to respond to restore power from those storms. And during that restoration, they had to implement social distancing and other pandemic response plans while they were restoring power in those scenarios. So I think we're doing a really good job so far in responding to the pandemic overall. APPA, as the Industry Trade Association, we have been providing best practices, uh, supporting our members by interfacing with the federal government and with state governments in some cases. So we have also stepped up to provide that support, webinars, other interactions and knowledge sharing throughout the public power industry. So, uh, so far, so good. We'll, we'll, we'll keep uh, plugging away. Joy, you recently published an article on Energy Central titled The Community-Owned Difference, Lessons for Maintaining a Customer Focus, where you highlighted some of the special things about public power and its business model. In your opinion, what's special about public power and what drew you back to APPA? So, to me, the main thing about public power is we're, we're very much mission-focused and public service-oriented. We're not-for-profit. We're owned by the communities that we serve. So we're typically affiliated with a municipal government, in some cases, a state government, we're a subdivision of a state. But because of that, our mindset is to provide optimal service to our communities where we also live or our members also live and work. So that is what's special to me. It's, you know, look, there are other utility types serving other communities 
in the U.S. and and they do a really good job too. But we just we feel like we kind of we do it the best of the of the best really because of that mindset. We're very responsive to our communities in terms of our rates, in terms of innovation, and and we really kind of mirror what our communities want. So some communities are going to be more progressive in terms of certain activities related to climate change, for example. Others may be more focused on keeping rates affordable for their communities. And and those decisions are very much local decisions, which I also think is an amazing business model. And, you know, the other, I think the other thing I would say that's just fascinating about the industry right now, and you alluded to it earlier, which is, you know, it's a very changing industry right now. We have done an amazing job over the last, you know, 100 plus years, keeping the lights on for our customers, even as the industry has changed and become more sort of centrally focused with large power plants. And now we're kind of shifting back in some ways to where where we started, which is more localized generation like distributed energy resources, a focus on electric vehicles, a lot of things that really look to the customer the residential customer and really at the local distribution utility level, we're sort of shifting back to that. We've been we've been away from that for efficiency reasons. We've we moved to this big sort of central station power plant model, which served us very well. But now with technology developments and increased interest from our customers in really having more control over their energy needs, we're moving again back to that more localized view, which is where public power is really amazing because we're right there with the communities helping them manage that providing our expertise and working with them on what their needs are going to be so that conversation that we can have with our members is incredible and it really does lend itself to all these future facing activities that i mentioned not that there aren't challenges with that but we're we're there i think really uniquely situated to meet those challenges let's talk about that a bit more we're seeing increased customer demand for new energy products and services Distributed generation, electric vehicles, more control over energy use, transactional energy, and so much more. How is public power stepping up to meet those demands? So I think as kind of I alluded to, a lot of it really is about listening to your customers at the, you know, the local level, understanding from them what their expectations are from their electric utility, what their what their needs are, and then working with local decision makers, policymakers about what are the goals for that community longer term and how can the utility sort of partner to meet those goals. And I, I see that happening across the country with public power. And, you know, those investments, I've seen uh, a lot more investments in electric vehicles, like rebates, planning for the infrastructure. And and while you kind of think that that might be most focused in places like California, where there are mandates, yes, certainly there is a focus there from our members in California. But there are also these types of activities happening in the middle of the country where there isn't as much penetration with electric vehicles, but where the utility really wants to set themselves up to meet that demand when, when it actually starts happening more robustly. So we've seen that as an example. We've seen a lot more focus on community solar projects and other more localized renewable generation projects. And that's, you know, that's been an evolution over, gosh, you know, 10, 15 years. In addition to deploying more advanced metering and and really trying to analyze the data we're getting back from our advanced metering technology to enable greater efficiency and then potentially enable greater conversations between the electric utility and and our customers, both at the commercial and industrial levels, but also the residential levels. So a a lot of things happening. And again, our members are just meeting them in slightly different ways, but they're all looking at it and they're all very focused on how to use technology to 
enhance this, the service that they're providing, both of just keeping the lights on the traditional reliability, but also to increase the conversation between the utility and the customer. Joy, I actually have a question on that, that last part. For customers who do see technologies or programs that they might want to take advantage of, what, what's the actionable way in which they can start that conversation with their public power provider and try to influence that change? You know, is it through public meetings, other customer feedback tools, surveys you run, or, or something else? Matt, that's a great question. So Obviously, this is going to vary quite widely. We have 2,000 public power members nationwide, and you know they are going to have different mechanisms and tools. But I would say generally, first of all, at the at the APPA level, at the trade association level, we frequently run surveys of our member utilities and also provide them tools to then then survey their own customers about some of these very issues. So that surveying and data collection is something that the utility can do proactively to get a sense in advance of how many people in their communities might be interested in certain programs, certain future facing programs. And I know a number of our members have done that. We also have these entities called joint action agencies that are groups, consortium of public power utilities that help provide energy services and power supply. Those entities as well will often do it on behalf of their smaller distribution members. So there's ways to gather the data in advance. We also offer and have for probably 20 plus years, numerous energy efficiency programs that are largely opt-in for our customers. So we have a history of providing some of these services in an opt-in manner. So, and they may be a little bit more expensive. You know, they may be something if you really want to be more uh, mindful or sustainability minded, for example, will offer you an opt-in for, again, greater energy efficiency piece or purchasing part of community solar. So there are those options in place in many utilities as well, but I would just suggest um, if there's a question for a particular customer that, yes, they reach out to the utility. And again, that's the nice part with public power. The headquarters is going to be in your own town. So you could actually even walk into, you know, walk, well, after COVID, you could, you could walk into uh, a customer service center and just start a dialogue there, or you could email, et cetera. But you're going to get a response because we're smaller and we're right there. So that's what I would suggest now. And if that's already not clear on the utility's website, where their offerings aren't maybe as they haven't gone as far as a particular customer would want them to. There's a dialogue they can have with the utility. You also mentioned public meetings. That's another place that a members' customers can get engaged with them. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the innovation side of APPA. As I understand, you have a pretty robust R&D program. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, we have a program that is actually quite amazing. It's 40 years old and APPA itself is 80 years old. So for half of the time we've existed, we've had this R&D program and it's called Demonstration of Energy and Efficiency Developments or DEED. That's e It's easier to say the acronym, DEED. And it was put in place because while there are other R&D focused entities within our sector, a lot of times those those entities have been focused on some of the larger utilities and we really needed a place where we could have really small utilities engage in R&D. And so DEED is it's a member driven program. So of our of all of our members, you, they can opt in, you know, to this program. So they could be a member of APPA and not be part of DEED 
or they could decide, yeah, I want to be part of DEED and I'm going to opt in and pay sort of dues to DEED. And those dues get pooled in. And then people apply for innovative programs that their utility is doing and they can get up to $125,000 annually to do that program or that that R&D program at their utility. And so it's really more about R&D in many ways because you're actually taking an idea and applying it in a utility environment. We also have scholarship uh, opportunities as well through DEED. So it's it's an amazing program and it's very focused on kind of the smaller utilities and it's it's pushed some very interesting things. Uh, landfills uh, produce methane emissions, which are 20, 21 times greater than carbon dioxide emissions. And years ago, um, DEED funded programs and, and also worked with the EPA that had some funding for landfill gas to energy projects where you would take that methane emission and you create an energy source from that. That's just one example of what DEED, the types of programs DEED has funded. They've funded, it's funded energy efficiency programs. It's funded programs related to EVs in sort of more recent years. It's also funded programs that improve processes around the, just the advertisement for our energy efficiency programs. You were asking earlier, how do people even know how to engage with the utility if there is a, a future-facing program that they either are interested in or that they want to have the utility consider in the future. You know, DEED has also funded activities to help the utility communicate what it's doing in this space. So it's just an incredible program. I can't say enough about it. Joy, what about developments that happen within, let's say, individual public utilities outside of the DEED program? Does APPA help foster the sharing of new ideas or creations from one utility to another in, in sort of a communal sense of we're all in this together as public utilities? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's really the beautiful part of public power. But I, I would even I'm just going to go so far as to say even the entire electric sector, you know, with our colleagues in the investor and utility and rural electric co-op communities, there's a lot of information sharing. And especially with regard to response to things like a pandemic, like we're dealing with right now, but on mutual aid, on other big hurricane response and major issues, we share a lot of information with each other. Public power specifically Yes, APPA is really the platform for that type of sharing to happen. Um, and frankly, we have been doing that for years. It's it's that platform for knowledge sharing that could take many forms. We have sort of email listers where we're, people can ask questions of each other in, on certain topics. We have conferences. And right now, obviously, we're doing our conferences virtually. We've pivoted to our, a virtual conference for our national conference, actually, that's called Public Power Connect. But we're doing some of our conferences virtually. So there's learning going on in our conferences around particular topics. We have webinars. I mean, there's a, a variety of ways that members can engage with us and with each other. And frankly, they learn the most from each other, from anecdotal information. I mean, I've seen just a huge amount of that engagement in the response to COVID, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we've had webinars, we've had groups of CEOs getting together and talking through things with each other, you know, over webinar formats or conference call formats and, and over email as well. So uh, yes, we provide that platform continuously, whether or not we're in an emergency situation. And it's, it really helps our, I think it helps our industry be so successful. We have such strong reliability numbers and we, I mean, day in, day out, we keep the lights on. And I think it's a function of our, our being able to learn from each other, 
share best practices, share where we might have stumbled and you know what not to do, as well as what we do well. So I, I can't say enough about that. Joy, the APPA is located in Washington, D.C., where, and yes. I understand you have a lot of federal advocacy behind mm-hmm. APPA. Share with us, uh, tell us about your advocacy priorities and uh, what are some of the things APPA is looking for on behalf of its members? So, you know, earlier we were talking about public power's response to COVID-19 and, and sort of on the operational side. And one of the challenges that we have now and that we will have going forward is the fact that many customers may not be able to pay their bills. We have suspended shutoffs of power right now during COVID. And in most cases, public power utilities have done that on their own and some of them under a state mandate. But there's variety of kind of suspension of power shutoffs, which can lead to bad debt, meaning we might not be able to collect those arrearages of, of power payments, which is problematic for, for us to be able to operate optimally. So there's that kind of financial piece, as well as what we what we characterize as load loss. So just demand loss. That varies quite a bit, quite frankly, because our members, it depends on where they are as to what their load profiles are, what their demand profiles are. In some cases, some of our members are largely residential and they don't have nearly as much commercial or industrial load and their their load hasn't really diminished and in fact may have slightly increased in that scenario. But most of our members have a combination of residential, industrial and commercial load and they've seen significant drops in some cases. And while some of the data is still coming in, I've seen as high as a you know 10% overall load loss um, but it look, it's looking like between 5 and 10% so far. That may, again, shift. That's very significant for us. And in order to maintain that operational integrity and reliability going forward, we're going to have to be able to manage that financial hit. So we are asking Congress. We typically don't ask Congress for a lot of direct money, but we're, we've been asking Congress actually for additional money for the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, which is actually a direct payment to low-income customers to help them pay their electricity bills. And we've been successful in getting some additional funding for LIHEAP, and that's kind of part of the answer. But in addition, we're seeking some potential direct funding for the utility as kind of a bridge to get us through this emergency. Um, That has not happened yet, but it's something that we're pushing for in Congress. We're also asking for, we use as our primary financing tool for infrastructure investments, we use tax-exempt bonds, municipal bonds. So we're asking for some additional flexibility with regard to municipal bonds. And and we would have asked for that anyway. So kind of beyond the COVID-19 response, um, we would have asked for this flexibility, kind of restoring some flexibility to our ability to deploy municipal bonds. And I think this is extremely important when we're talking about kind of stimulating the economy. Much of that stimulation comes from investment and infrastructure. And if we get some additional flexibility in that key tool for us, we will, as we start to come out of this economic downturn, maybe be able to help spur some of that economic development if if we have more flexibility in that tool. Longer term and kind of what we were focused on before COVID-19 hit was we were obviously responding to the climate change legislation in Congress, making sure that it would be workable for some of our smaller utilities and communities as we move forward. We also care about 
again, infrastructure, energy infrastructure, some of the innovative innovations we've talked about supporting things like electric vehicles and um, rebates and spurring some of that innovation we've been long supporting. And we would ha- we were supporting in various vehicles moving through Congress, including in kind of the bigger energy package that Senator Murkowski was pushing before it stalled. So those are a couple. We continue to support reasonable efforts to enhance grid security, and we have been fortunate to receive some grant funding as APPA itself, not as our members, but as APPA. We've received grant funding from the Department of Energy around helping us educate our members around what their grid security posture is, particularly cybersecurity posture. And that's been very, very helpful over the last four years. So we'll, we'll, um, we're talking to them about some additional funding in that regard. But certainly our interest is to ensure that we have enhanced grid security without unwieldy mandates. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've had the opportunity to sit in a number of commissioners' testimonies as well as meetings with IOUs and cybersecurity is top of mind, especially with COVID. It's only made it even um, a singular issue. So I'm sure everyone in this industry understands and can can relate to this discussion here regarding cybersecurity for sure. Joy, it's been a pleasure having you on The Power Perspectives. We hope you'll be back real soon. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And see you next time at Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast.